Well, today we finish up the book of Galatians. We've been in a while. We're in chapter 6. So if you turn there with me. So we're in Galatians 6, uh, verse 11, uh, to the end. Alright, so normally I don't have to hold a mic or a little thing that moves on me. Um, so bear with me and... Uh, We'll have fun together. All right, I think I have all my ducks in here. All right, um, this is the word of the Lord. Um, let us give it our full attention. Uh, beginning in verse 11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. For they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. For as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is so incredibly powerful. I know that I will not do it justice, but I am confident in the power of your word. So, Lord, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that I would preach with all my heart, with great clarity, making very clear the things that need to be said from this passage. And pray for their hearts, that you would prepare them to receive uh, this word planted as good seed. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I had an interesting experience this morning. Um, I stumbled on a sermon that John Piper preached 23 years ago. He preached this sermon to a crowd of 50,000 college students gathered in a field uh, near Memphis, Tennessee. I was in that crowd. Uh, this sermon, um, by far, was the sermon that's most impacted my life. And so, I listened to that this morning, which is very dangerous. He happened to be preaching on this very passage. Even more dangerous. But it's very encouraging to me. Um, every time I listen to it, I'm nearly brought to tears. Again, I was this morning. Well, I, I want, I know I'm not um, John Piper, but we preach from the same Bible. And my desire is that even in a little way, this passage may impact you as it's impacted me over the past 23 years. As we go through it, I just want to go through it verse by verse. Look at verse 11. You see how he starts. It's Sounds kind of strange. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you in my own hand. Now, what's that all about? Well, Paul's common practice, as many people in that day, is they would have a scribe. They would dictate to the scribe, and the scribe would write it down. Um, the big fancy word for that is amanuensis. How's that for a mouthful? But that was the guy who wrote it down, right? But at this point, Paul takes the, the ink quill or whatever he's writing with in his own hand and says, I want to write this part. And maybe his eyesight is bad at this point, and so he's writing with large letters. And it proves the authenticity, right? They would get this letter and say, oh, I know that writing. 
That's Paul's writing for sure. Because remember, the whole letter, he's been defending the authenticity of his gospel, right? Because it was under attack the whole time, right? There are Paul's teachers that came in, and so he's defending it. So now he's summarizing. So now here in these last verses, he summarizes the whole message. So a great way to end the series, summarizing this whole thing. You see the outline on page 7. A lot of words there, but um, two basic ideas. We're answering what's the book of Galatians all about. Um, first, salvation by faith and works is a counterfeit gospel. Counterfeit Christians, they boast in their own accomplishments, and they are dead in their own sins. In contrast to that, and this is what Paul has been beating this drum through the whole thing, salvation by faith alone is the real gospel. Real Christians boast only in the cross. They're a new creation, and they are the Israel of God. So that's where we're going this morning. So let's start with the negative, the counterfeit gospel. You see it in verse 12. Again, he's attacking the Judaizers. These are the guys who came in and said, hey, it's great you believe in Jesus and the cross, but you need circumcision. You need all this Jewish stuff. Become like Jews if you're to be saved. So look there in verse 12. It is those, this, the Judaizers, who want to make a good showing in the flesh, who would force you to be circumcised. And then here he exposes their motivation. Why were they doing all this? What were they after? It says, in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. You see, they didn't care about the, the Gentile Christians or the church. They didn't want to be persecuted. See, what the, the um, Galatian church was creating was a problem. It was threatening thousands of years of Jewish tradition. Because in this church was a bunch of Gentiles and some Jews. You don't do that. You don't mix the two together. According to Old Testament ceremonial law. Well, Jesus had fulfilled all that, but they were saying, no, no, if you become circumcised, become like a Jew, then it gets them off the hot seat, right? Then it's, it's all kosher, if that makes sense. So that's their motivation. They're driven by their own accomplishments, right? We want, and it even says that, they want to boast in your flesh. They want to boast in your flesh. You see that in verse 13. That's a strange thing to say. They boast in their flesh. But think, they come back and they say, hey, we had a great missionary journey. We went to Galatia. We had a hundred circumcisions. Everyone's like, oh, that's great. A bunch of people are now good Jews. Right? All these Gentiles are now circumcised. That's their, their success. But bringing it to us, are we ever tempted to find our boast in what we've accomplished? Of course, something different. We aren't boasting in the same things. But we still are tempted to find in what we do. This is very convicting to me as I thought about it. It is very easy for me to find the accomplishment of people's approval. If you will but just like me. It's so easy. Anyone who's in front of people, it's easy for you as well, isn't it? Oh, that they would just like me. This is not how Christians think. Ouch. But it's true. That's not. It's, it's not in accord with Christianity. That we find our identity in our accomplishments. Now, please don't mishear me. Um, so you say, well, I found my identity and my accomplishments. Are you saying I'm a false Christian? No, you're an inconsistent Christian. I'm often inconsistent. The way you're acting is not consistent with your faith. So just understand, you're, you're going to see the same thing in the second point. right? Understand what I'm saying and not saying. It is um, part and parcel with being a counterfeit Christian to find your identity and what you've done. Because what else do you have? It's really only you. You have nothing else. 
Okay, so what else do we know about counterfeit Christians? They're still dead in their sins, right? We see that. And look at beginning of 13 again. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. They do not keep the law. Hypocrites claim things they don't live up to. Is that true of hypocrites? Hypocrites make claims they don't live up to. They're saying, hey, become a good Jew. Be circumcised. Join us. But they're miserably failing at keeping the law, if they're honest. I've had this experience multiple times. I had it again Friday. I was um, around someone I knew was Catholic, and so I said, hey, can I ask you a question? I'm doing research for my sermon on Sunday. He said, okay. And um, I said, if I said to a Catholic priest, hey, I want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be a Christian. What would he say? Like, how do I do this? He said, well, that's a hard question. He said, well, I think he would say, um, well, what kind of life have you lived? I said, well, that's what I was figuring, but I just wanted to check. You know, I, when you look back at the Reformation, the 1500s, that was kind of the issue then. Is it really just Christ that saves you, or is it something you do? Do you need to live a good life? Right? And so, according to this guy, he's not the representative of all the Catholic Church, but it's still consistent. Right? This was the same issue in Galatia. It's not enough just to have faith. You need to do something. You need to do something. The trouble is, dead people don't do much at all, right? We've, we've seen this. I've quoted this to you before. This is Ephesians 2.1. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Everyone before Christ is dead in their sins. Dead people can't do anything. Dead people can't live good lives. The reason it's a failing proposition to what the Judaizers are saying, what the Catholic Church has always been saying, is to do faith plus works. The trouble is, all our works aren't any good. You can't earn your way into heaven. I hope that makes sense. We've been saying this over and over again for months and months if you've been with us. But many will say, they, they heard it a thousand times, but finally clicked one day. Okay, we're ending the year. This is your last chance of 2023, end of this series, because we're going to go on to something else. And this series has been um, amazingly redundant, but we needed it. Because aren't there lots of layers? We just, over and over, we need to hear how we just want to earn God's favor by doing something, right? And so if, you, if, it's, if it's never clicked, if it's never made it through to you, then you can't be saved by a good life. I hope today you see this. Because you can't live up to any standard, you need someone who has lived up to it. That would be Christ. Okay, so thankfully the passage doesn't stop here. We get to some good news. Look at verse 14. And so that's the bad counterfeit gospel, faith plus works. Secondly, salvation is by faith alone is the real gospel. Look at 14. This is the key verse. This is what I really want you to get from this passage. But far be it from me, or may it never be, that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Now what in the world does he mean by this? This is a very bizarre thing to say. It's, it's not so bizarre to you because you live in this age. You, when you think cross, you think symbol of Christianity, don't you? The cross is the symbol of Christianity. That is not the way people in the first century thought. They thought the most gruesome, awful way to execute a person. That's what they thought. Of. So much so that in first century polite culture, you didn't even talk about it. Because it was so gruesome. 
I mean, what Paul is saying is, you should boast in the electric chair. My one and only boast is in lethal injection. My one and only boast is in the hangsman's noose. Now, doesn't that sound bizarre? A way of execution is the thing that I hold up, the thing that is really great. What in the world does he mean? That's the question we have to answer. What does he really mean? See, Paul's gospel rests on faith alone for salvation. And so we, so I ask you, what are you resting on for your salvation? What is your confidence in that you're going to heaven? If you are confident that you will go. Hopefully you've seen, as we've gone through this book, it is only, it is only faith. But how can you know? How can you know if you're a counterfeit Christian or a real Christian? If you look at those verses again, 13 and 14. And if you didn't figure it out, this is on page 7 in your bulletin. The passage is right there. You can mark it up. You can take notes. The outline there too. Now, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, for they desire to have you circumcised and boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This word boast here is, in English, it doesn't come across um, with all the richness as it would in Greek. John Stott, writing about this, said, it means to boast in, glory in, trust in, rejoice in, revel in, live in. The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons, engrosses our attention, absorbs our time and energy. In a word, our glory is our obsession. Our glory is our obsession. What's the thing that is central to your life? What's the thing that you hold on to? Or let me ask you a different way. When you're worried, what do you hold on to? When you feel insecure, you're worried that maybe your life has been a waste or it's not amounting to anything or that you're a failure. In your mind, in your heart, what do you go to? What's the thing you hold on to that you say, no, 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 I matter because of this. What's the this? What's that thing? What's the thing that you know that you matter, that your life has not been a waste? That is your boast. That is your boast. You know, there's uh, many religions in the world, but there's really just two categories. And I'll, I'll explain how this relates. There's basically either it's based on what you've accomplished or what someone else has accomplished. But I don't know if you realize every single world religion fits in this bucket of what you have accomplished. Islam, every, well, there's one exception. You probably guess which it is. We'll get there in a second. It's all about what you've done. Every religion, is that true? You have, there's some book, there's a holy book, whether it's from the Buddhist or the Shintoist or the um, Hinduist, right? They all have a holy book and they say what to do and if you, if you measure up, then you get to heaven. You get to nirvana, you get to the good place. Christianity is the only religion that isn't based on it. It doesn't work that way. It's based on what someone else has accomplished. The reason this relates is that that is offensive to our human sensibilities. Let me explain it this way. The real gospel says that you are a hopeless sinner. You're a hopeless sinner. You have sinned way more than you would ever dare admit. But 
God has given His grace far more than you'd ever imagine. That's just offensive to our, our human minds. We want to accomplish them. We want to have, have something to hold on to. You have nothing to hold on to in Christianity. Tim Keller says it's like um, a candy that is a bitter taste on the outside but sweet on the inside. Have you ever tasted the bitter taste of the gospel? Has it ever offended you? Has it ever been so you're like, I, I don't know what I think of this. It would say that I am so wicked, that I am such a failure. That's not very attractive to our human sensibilities. And so that's where we have to start. We have to take a long look at the cross. One theologian said it this way. I like this analogy. He said, imagine your house is on fire. You've gotten your kids out. You've gotten all your precious possessions out. You're standing there watching your house burn. And your neighbor runs up to you and says, this is how much I love you. He runs into your house and dies and perishes in that fire. Complete waste. The second scenario is this. Your child is stuck in that house. The firefighters say it's hopeless. We can't save your child. And your neighbor runs to you and says, this is how much I love you. Runs inside your burning house. Saves your child at the cost of his own life. Those are two very different scenarios, aren't they? The question is, if you think you're getting to heaven by your good life, which scenario is your gospel? Which scenario is your gospel? Let me read to you Galatians 2.21 going back. He said, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, if you can get to heaven by your good life, then Christ died for no purpose. You see, if your confidence is in yourself, what you've accomplished, it's the first scenario. Jesus is that man that ran into the building and died for no purpose. But it's not. The gospel says, no, you are helplessly stuck in that house. You can't save yourself. No one else can save you. But Jesus ran in to save you. And he died in the process. You see, that's the gospel. See, I'm not here like that Catholic priest saying, well, tell me about your life. I'm here telling you that you have miserably failed at keeping the law of God, and so have I. You are a hopeless sinner. You cannot save yourself. But Jesus offers salvation in the gospel. You see how different that message is? This is how Christianity is different than everybody else. It's not based on our accomplishments. This has been the main message of this book. And so we say with Paul, real Christians boast only in the cross. Now, I am a real Christian, but I don't always act like it. You're inconsistent at times, too. We boast in other things. But this is an incredible verse. You know, I want to read you a quote from that sermon I listened to this morning from John Piper. He's speaking so wild because he's 54, he says in that. I'm 44. I was then 21 when I heard that. He said this. He says, I know that they're... That not everyone in this crowd wants their life to make a difference. There are hundreds of you. You don't care whether you make a lasting difference or something great. You just want people to like you. If people would like you, you'd be satisfied. Or if you just have a good job, a good wife, a, a couple good kids, a nice car, long weekends, a few good friends, a fun retirement, a quick and easy death, and no help. If you could have that, you would be satisfied. He said, that is a tragedy in the making. It is only by the grace of God that I heard that message 23 years ago 
and I didn't waste my life. This is so encouraging to hear this morning. Church planning is extremely difficult. Ask anyone who's ever planted a church. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. But it's so encouraging to be reminded that I am not wasting my life. That you are gathered here today because of this. And so my question to you is, are you wasting your life? What are you living for? What is the thing that is your boast? What is the thing that you're holding on to? You see, this works two ways. One is in the Don't Waste Your Life. You wrote a book by that title, which also impacted me greatly. But it also impacts you in another way. Do you realize that many of your anxieties, your fears, your sadness, your depression is driven by this same stuff? It is driven by your boast. If the thing that you are trying to hold on to is in jeopardy, you, it will terrify you. If it's not in jeopardy, you will have confidence like no one else. So the question is, is your boast ever in jeopardy? If the thing, your job, your money, your career, your health, all those things, Paul gained and lost all those things many times, but he had a confidence that was unshakable, that was in a gruesome execution technique called the cross. Because on that cross was ensured his salvation, his identity. On your bank account, it says FDIC insured, right? It is safe. When you put money in there, it's still going to be in there. It does not fluctuate like the stock market does, right? Is your boast FDIC insured? Is your boast something that is unchangeable, unshakable? Much of our fear is driven by the fact that what we're holding on to is something that slips through our fingers. I want to read you three verses from Paul, three different letters. And I want to see if you can catch Paul's vision for his life. How he thought, what was his DNA, his heartbeat? One comes from this letter, Galatians 2.20. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live is this body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. This is Acts 20.24, Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only... If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of grace of our God. Philippians 3, verse 7 and 8. For whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is Paul's DNA. This is what he lived for. My question this morning is what are you living for? What are you living for? Piper again said, don't coast through life without a passion. 
Make your life count for something great and for eternity. Don't waste your life. It is so short and so precious. This morning I thought as we have a smaller than normal crowd, I, I reminded myself with however many people we have here, if just one or just a few of you really got a hold of this passage and it made a significant difference in your life, in the trajectory of your life, what you're living for and what you're willing to die for, what you're holding on to, what your confidence is, what keeps you up at night, what you worry about. Boy, what a success this would be. This is powerful stuff. May it never be that I may boast in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens when that happens? I will be crucified to the world and the world to me. The things of this world just don't matter as much. And I'm able to live for something else. Could you hear that in Paul's words? I don't count my life as of much value, but only that I may finish the course. You know, and that course isn't necessarily glorious. You don't have to stand in front of people and hold a microphone. Do you know that the raising of children is one of the most profound things that impacted our world? If you get a hold of children's hearts, and kids, if God gets a hold of your hearts, as you week after week hear the gospel preach, you can change the world. You can change the world. Read about the great mothers of great men. I will encourage you, mothers. Fathers, you have an incredible role. You are the spiritual leader in your home. Don't take that for granted. I can't do what you can do. I'm not at your dinner table every night, but you are. We have incredible opportunities. And this isn't even, this is in your house. We've been talking about your workplace, your neighbors. Don't waste your life. You know, I said this morning, not everything I have written here probably needs to be said. There's a couple of things that do need to be said. Look at um, verse um, 15. It says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, which is funny after he spent a whole letter arguing about it. But he's saying, I'm only talking about it because they're... They're making me talk about it, the Judaizers, right? It's not what matters. Look what it says. But a new creation, are you a new creation? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You see, in contrast, those who are dead in their sins, dead people don't do anything. There's something called regeneration. This morning, if you are understanding the words I'm saying, it's because you've been regenerated. It's because God drug your dead body out of the bottom of the pool, drug it up, resuscitated it, and you're now listening to me, understanding the gospel. It's the only way I understand it. It's called regeneration. It's a new creation. It changes everything. Has the gospel regenerated you? Do you understand that though you are a hopeless sinner, your hope is in the cross? And that's what you hold to. That's your boast. Praise God that we are new creations. Now, I don't always feel like a new creation. I don't always act like a new creation. Neither do you. But that's because we're inconsistent Christians. I'm a real Christian, though I'm inconsistent. And hopefully you are too. The fact that you sin 
does not mean you're not a Christian. Read Romans 7. Paul tells, talks all about his battle with sin. But is Christ the thing that you run to? The only way you can do that is if you're a new creation. Look at verse 16. There's in four words, the last four words of this verse are profound. If you're a um, kid, you can circle those words, highlight them. End of verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. And upon the Israel of God. Well, that's a strange thing to say. The Israel of God. In those four words, he defends or refutes a theology that's taking great root in America. It's called dispensationalism. If you've never heard of it, it's this idea that we're going to separate the God of the Old Testament and how he interacted with Israel from how he interacted with the church. It's really bizarre. But they say that all the promises in the Old Testament were only for ethnic Israel, not for the church. But this, among other places, there's something very strange that happens. Paul talks to the, the Galatian church. Who are the main components of the Galatian church? A bunch of Gentiles, right? Non-Jews. And he calls them what? What does he call them? Last four words of verse 16. He calls them the Israel of God. You see, the Judaizers thought, hey, if you're going to be really part of God's family, you'd be circumcised. You need to start keeping some Jewish laws. You need to become a Jew. Paul says, no. He says, no. You, you become a Christian just by Christ, by faith. Abraham was saved by faith. Remember all the times that Abraham's come up in this book? You have the promises of Abraham. Old Testament things. There's not this dispensation where all that's old, not for us, we get just the new stuff. No. You get the promises of Abraham. Because there's a connectionalism all the way through Scripture. And Paul has the audacity to call a bunch of Gentiles the Israel of God. You, this morning, brothers and sisters, are the Israel of God. You are the people of God, the real, genuine people of God. With some Jews and a bunch of Gentiles. Israel of God. But then look as he, as he comes to wrap up, verse 17. He says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. Talking to the Judaizers. Leave me alone. Stop this, guys. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The Judaizers, the mark that they claimed to have significance was their circumcision. And Paul says, I have the marks of Jesus. I've been beaten in Lystra. He was stoned and left for dead. That's a city around Galatia. He was stoned. He said, he said, I've been beaten for Christ. Leave me alone. Quit all this nonsense about this, this false gospel. For my claim is not the mark of circumcision, but rather that I've been marked like Jesus. I've suffered for the gospel. Oh, that we would be willing to suffer for the gospel. As we wrap up, after six chapters of arguing with false teachers, how does he end his letter? Verse 18. This is a benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is a, what is a benediction? Look at page six in your bulletin. Right column. Um, a full disclosure, I was the one that pushed the bottom text off the bottom, so my, my apologies there. But the first part is what I want to read to you. Look what it says. What is a benediction? It means blessing. This is in the right column at the bottom of page six. 
A man ordained to minister the word and sacrament by a preacher raises his hands at the end of a public worship and pronounces a blessing from God to, the, to, his, to God's people. This is not a prayer to God, this is an important word, but a blessing from God. This is not a prayer to God, but a blessing from God. And so after all this, Paul blesses these people, these struggling Galatian Christians who are just like us, struggling people in Cain Bay, trying to keep our head above water and keep following Christ. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord means master, king of my life. Jesus means the one who saves, or God saves. And Christ, the Messiah. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's my prayer for you. Paul loved the Galatian Christians. He really, really cared about them. I love you and really, really care about you and your soul. And that is my prayer for you, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with you. The gospel, the real thing, not the counterfeit thing. The grace, the salvation that's by faith alone that helps dissolve some of your fears, anxieties, depressions, that gives you something better than your accomplishments to live for, something to glory in, other than ourselves with the cross of Christ, a shameful thing to the world, but our glory because on it, your sins are paid for. You get to go to heaven because of the cross. Amen, let's pray. Father, my hope is not in anything I said, but in your word. It is powerful. Lord, thank you for how, for many, many years, your word has been powerfully wedging itself down into my soul, breaking up the concrete, my hard-heartedness. Lord, I pray that for my brothers and sisters, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would be with them would encourage them, would lift their eyes beyond their present circumstances. They would see something beyond right now. And they would begin to live for something greater than themselves. Thank you for so many of them that are. They're in a church plant for crying out loud. They obviously, many of them are. This is not a beautiful, fancy place. And our church is not. It takes a lot of work. But Lord, we believe that you are advancing your kingdom through simple works like this. Lord, may they be encouraged, those who are living for you, that you are their boast. May they continue to do so. Lord, we pray, I pray for their encouragement today and the salvation. Lord, for those who are here who either think they're Christians who aren't or know they aren't, Lord, please don't let them leave 2023 deceived, thinking that their good life will save them. I pray that every single soul that is in this room would this day do business with you and stop pretending that their good life is going to save them. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen.